0: Okay, so good evening, all. It's Tabara Krasniansky from Adayad, and with me I have Dr. Shana Friedman from Shalom Task Force, and I'm really excited about this talk. I mean, I'm not excited about the topic, but I'm excited that we're covering this topic. Um, With COVID happening, uh, domestic abuse numbers have gone up somewhat. Let's just use the word somewhat. Um, And there's a lot going on and I think that's important for us to really recognize what is happening for the people who are in these situations, what is domestic abuse and how we could be supportive. Uh, recently, Dr. Friedman Shana wrote an article, a great article by the by the topic of community has power, the power of the community. And we're going to talk about that in this series. Tonight, we'll be talking with Dr. Shana Friedman about that. And in a few weeks, we'll be talking with uh, Abhita Levin, also from Shalom Task Force. And so, as we get uh, into the topic first, I'm really excited about the new Shalom Task Force, uh, the new and enhanced Shalom Task Force uh, with, headed by, F- uh, by Shannon these days. So, there's a lot new thing now, a lot new happening. So, Shannon, do you want to talk a little bit about what's happening at Shalom Task Force and what yes. Shalom Task Force can provide for the community?
1: Absolutely. Deborah, thank you for having me tonight. Um, I too. It's exciting to be here though. It's always a difficult topic to, to speak about, but when we talk about the community having power, it's really about um, destigmatizing these conversations and making it okay to talk about it so people can get help. So here we are, you know, becoming empowered together, acknowledging it, being learning to be supportive to one another who are going, we're going through hard hard things. So Sean task force may be familiar to some of you. Um, And it may not be, Sham Task Force is a nonprofit in the Jewish community that serves the Jewish community that's here to combat domestic violence and foster healthy relationships. And we really do that through three key core services. That's our hotline, which has newly expanded to include text chat and WhatsApp. And my staff's gonna kill me, I always forget to remember down the number, but I'm gonna get it here in a second. Um, But, um, you know, and we're available most days between 9 a.m. and 10 p.m. And we're there to listen, to validate what's going on, to help people think of things through and then help them get to, if they want to, a place to to explore things further. And there's never any pressure to um, share who you are. It's it's absolutely confidential. Um, And you have the ability to just talk. And often people who call are not the people who are being hurt themselves, but very often it will be people in the community family, friends, other professionals who who notice something that's going on and they say, I want to be helpful, but I don't know how. And we'll often, you know, we can help with that as well. So um, the number is 888-883-2323. That's a phone number. It's also WhatsApp and text. So um, since we've expanded to WhatsApp and text, we're able to help people internationally, um, which is very exciting. People are reaching out and we find that sometimes it's easier to talk about these issues by writing. Um, and that might be the first step that someone needs to be able to say it out loud. So we're here for the hotline, which is our core service. We have legal services based in Brooklyn um, that could serve all of New York City. And we're able to help people figure out what legal services might be helpful to them. Um, we also know how to go into base then with people. And many times people call just to learn what it means to use legal services. They may not be ready to use legal services, but if someone does need to, to to use legal services to, for safety. We, we can help them um, pursue orders of protection, divorce, um, and, and certainly um, we're there to give education around that. Um, and we go into basin to help people get and negotiate that. And our third service, um, course services about education and prevention, and this is part of that. Um, getting out there, talking about these hard issues, going into schools, um, going into colleges, seminaries, yeshivas, Um, base medrash. We go into Shoals. Um, We just have a new program we we, um, instituted called the Purple Fellows, where we have a national group of juniors in high school who they're finishing tomorrow night, um, their first eight weeks, where they're learning about domestic violence and how to be leaders in this issue. And really to surface this conversation, because we talk about the power of community and how we could empower each other, is we have to be able to talk about it. Um, so those are our core services, included in our education is also something called Shalom Workshop, and my colleague, Yashaya Krause, was here with Devorah, I think, around three weeks ago, um, talking about Shalom Workshop, which is, is a program not for people who are in abusive relationships, just for anyone in a relationship, to help them enhance their relationship skills, um, to, to foster that healthy relationship, learn how to have a good argument, learn how to negotiate with each other, um, and, and be healthier. So those are our three services. Um, they are available to anyone in the community. It's at 888-883-2323. Also check out our website. Um, there's a lot on there. I have to say to Bora that I was thinking about you, your work today. I love your website. Um, we often, it is full of amazing information. Um, and I highly encourage people to look at it. Um, and there's so much there, um, that you could learn about relationships and sham bias and, and to think things through. And I love that we're able to work together because there's times in place where Sean bias is the focus and there's times in place where safety and thinking about other options is the focus. And I love that we, 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 we kind of get that. Um, so, and your website, I mean, I look at it as one of the <laughs> ideal ways, there's so many resources. So I encourage people to take a look thank at that know. as well. Um, so I want to jump
0: in with my Our website yeah. is adaiad.org, A-D-A-I-A-D.org. I just want to add to Shana what you were saying about the hotline. Uh, you don't always encourage divorce. You're not telling no. people what to do. Uh, really, just, you're about listening. And answering their questions and guiding them without enforcing or
1: telling. Absolutely, them. and I think I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. Let me highlight that. Like, it's really not about even like answering questions all the time. Sometimes it's just being a listening ear and like like validating and mirroring what people are saying and experiencing. And people will call and they can call back later, or they can you know call back many years later. Um, but we never, ever um, tell people what to do. Um, and it's so important and as we talk about domestic violence and what it actually is um, and about how there's a loss of power and control and making decisions. We will never be in a place to make any decision on behalf of someone else. But we are there to help people explore and help think things through um, and see what's best for them in their situation. So nobody is, is asked or forced to do anything that they're uncomfortable with or not ready for.
0: So. You have a great team there. So
1: yes, I'm very blessed. Okay,
0: so let's get into this topic of domestic abuse. But well, people may talk about domestic abuse. Let's oh, let at least for this call, let's be on the same definition of domestic abuse. What are we talking about?
1: Right. Um, so we always like to start with that. Um, I just want to mention that there's a and A function on, on the Zoom. So if anybody wants to write in a question, it's anonymous that way feel free to do that. Um, Domestic abuse, it's really important that we all have the same definition. I think very often um, when someone says they're a victim of domestic violence, domestic, domestic abuse, intimate partner violence, we all have this image of black and blue marks. And we think about the pushing, shoving, hitting, slapping, choking, kicking, all that stuff, and that is certainly part of the definition of domestic violence. But if we were to walk away this evening with one takeaway, and I hope you have more than that, is that we have a broader definition for what domestic violence is. And people use different terms. Um, the literature, like the academic literature, usually uses intimate partner violence, IPV. Um, something Deborah and I talked about is this new idea of talking about intimate terrorism. But basically, it is this, this, this dynamic within a relationship where one person um, uses power it uses different tactics of power to obtain and maintain power and control over that other person, and there's a level of fear. So there's three components we're looking at. We're looking at a pattern of behaviors. We're looking at this dynamic of power and control, and there's fear. Um, and I do have some graphics. I don't I really want to bring it up right now, but I want everybody to think about those things. And so obviously, physical abuse will encapsulate all three, right? The person, there's power, there's control. Um, there's 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 fear, but there are many ways that someone who's abusive can can have the same, have power and control, obtain and maintain power and control without being physically violent. Now, there's often like an overt or covert um, threat of physical violence, um, and then maybe there has been an incident or threat of an incident, um, but it doesn't have to happen frequently to know it can happen. And it doesn't even have to happen always. It just needs to know there's the capacity for it to happen, right? So um, we're looking about living in a situation. Um, and when I, when I reflected before this language of terrorism, um, and we could think about that is those of us who lived here after 9-11 or those of us who have spent time in Israel know this experience where there are times where we know it's possible, right? There's a level of vulnerability. And there's like this yellow, orange, red zone of like what can happen. And then... And it doesn't have to happen often, but we know there's a possibility of it. And that's what it's often described at when you're living in that relationship is that I know there's always that potential for a, an attack, an assault, and that, that defines the relationship and it um, impacts how we function and it creates the environment of power and control. So... What are, what are those ways that people do it? I mean, that's really, like, what are those ways? So if we're going to, if my takeaway is how do we define it, you know, we're patterned behavior that's about obtaining power and control, and there's a level of fear. There's the physical abuse. Um, there's sexual abuse. And, and there's certainly sexual abuse within relationship, within marriage, um, something that we don't generally talk about. Um, but there's coercion. There could be marital rape. Um, there could be um, sexual assault during NIDA. It's something to think about and something for us to unpack together. There's emotional and psychological abuse. Um, people often distinguish between the two. I, I put them together, but it's really attacking someone's sense of self, their sense of self-esteem, um, their sense of reality. Um, and it could be done in so many different ways. It could be verbal attacks. This could be, it could be something that's like gaslighting, making the person feel like they're crazy, like they moving their keys or making them second guess themselves. And so much of that impacts the ability for the person to think clearly, right, and to trust themselves. Um, a big dynamic around power of control is isolation. And, you know, everyone listening has gone through some level of social distancing, I think globally. And we know how, how challenging it is to feel isolated and to feel alone. And let's think about um, in a relationship, if, if you don't have access to your family and friends and you're not being allowed to, um, have those resources around you, how that impacts you, how it impacts your sense of self, how it impacts your ability to have support. Um, so isolation is a, a big part of um, of abuse. Someone just wrote in silent treatment for days, right? So it could be verbal attacks. It could also be withholding, right? It's, it's there are ways that you, you power and control. So there, I think about the different ways um, that people could abuse is like the toolkit of the, the abuser or the person that hurts or the perpetrator. Uh, what, how can that person um, become powerful and have control of the other person? So through isolation, through having physical attacks, having sexual attacks, be emotionally and psychologically abusive. Um, and it's, it's important to, to, to remember, it's not about an incident, it's not about a fight, right? It's about a pattern. Um, people asking for examples. Yeah, thank you for keeping me on track with that. I love, I love the interaction. Um, so some, some examples of, of isolation, right? And I see that as like one of the core dynamics of, of abuse. And I also see it that way because um, when someone's in a relationship and they don't have the, the external resources of friends, family, and colleagues, when they choose to, to look at the relationship and they choose to make any changes, they're alone. And it might have burnt bridges and then they have to recreate and find and rebuild um, support systems. So what does it look like? It may look like, and it's very subtle, you know, nobody would marry someone, or I would say most people would not marry someone who on their first date, like slaps them, right? And, and, you know, assaults them. Like it's a very subtle process. So um, it may be when they're dating um, and when they're and they're, when they're engaged, it's about your friends are not good enough for you. Or like, you know, we'll see in our community. Like, you know, they're not as firm as you are. Or, you know, you shouldn't hang out with them. Or I, I really love you. There's a possessiveness. You know, I really love you. I want you to spend all my time with you. And there's no voice back to say, no, I want to hang out with my friends. Or like, I need some space to do my schoolwork. Um, and it, it slowly, slowly um, chips away at the person's ability to have those relationships to, to, to function, right? Some level of self-determination. So, um their, their ability. So isolations one one way someone really does. It. And I see it as really important because later um, it, it really does impact people. I'm loving that people are writing things in. I don't know if you see it, but some of the other things we see here, and I was going to get to some of this, is digital is digital abuse. Um, and it's so interesting how that's changed. I think back to a, a situation I helped with. It was probably 2002. So it was a long time ago. And one of the, the dynamics in the engagement was that he gave her a beeper, right? This was like, early cell phone years, so he gave her a beeper, so he could always, like, be in touch with her and call her, and in some way, that could feel sweet, right, but it became that he was, like, monitoring where she was, and why wasn't she calling back in time, and it became, like, very intense that she had, she couldn't take care of anything but take care of him, and, and it impacted her life, and she, 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 you know, her family was impacted, it. she eventually um, did not, she did break the engagement, she chose to break the engagement, um, and then you think that now the power of cell phones, which, you know, it's sitting right here, and it's more powerful than, any computer we had when I was growing up, um, and the ability to stalk someone that way, right? Or um, how do how it, um, you know, we use these apps, my children are still young, hopefully you will not meet them tonight, they made a little appearance before, but hopefully you'll not <laughs> meet them tonight, my children are young, but I know my friends who have teens, right? They like having things on the phone that says where their kids are all the time. It's a fabulous tool, right? But is that a great tool if you're being controlled? Like how do you go to your therapist right? And you don't want him to know about it because you want to have your own space to take care of it. And he knows exactly where you've got. And I remember when I, I used to be, um, I, I used to treat people, we would sometimes, you know, we wouldn't, you know, usually your therapist, you see every week at the same time. That's like a standard practice. And but we couldn't do that because he'd be tracking her. So we would have to, like, you know, Thursday and then Tuesday and then Monday evening. And, like, we'd have to think of ways, you know, what would be the excuse that he would be able to see that he would, what street she was on, why was she always visiting there? Was it because her mother had physical therapy on the block and there was some sort of, you know, way we thought about it? So there's this monitoring. And then, um, you know, there are all these ways. I'm not a tech expert, but technological and digital abuse is really, um, it it happens, often it happens in our community. Um, People are, you know, you could ghost someone's phone and know everything about them. So even if you're post-relationship, they could find things out about you. Um, they know where you are. They could, they could do things on social media. And we're not talking about the cyber bullying only, but like they could, they could, you know, find out about you that way. And then, you know, when you see, um, you see that there's an intersection between sexual abuse and um, technology abuse and, you know, it's important to just say these things, but like using pictures from within the relationship and using that as a threat, right? If you choose to leave me, or if you tell anybody what's going on here, um, those pictures I took of you, I will WhatsApp to our whole community. Um, and, you know, using that as a threat. So there are, um, there's a lot that, that, that people, um, there's a lot going on with digital abuse. Um, there was just a law, um, we were, we were involved in and in helping advocate for it. I found out it finally passed. It finally was, um, side signed by the governor in November um, that includes digital um, um, digital abuse as part of an order of protection finally so that like let's say the smart houses that some of us have I do not but some you know if like you might think you're crazy if you leave your it's another way of gaslighting right like changing it from afar knowing what's going on so um so there's a lot of things i i there's more i mean i can keep so we're talking about you know all these things oh, i think we'll share the the the
0: wheel the domestic yes. abuse wheel so people can see all of it in detail and they can yes. actually yes. see it and read it uh, i just want to mention just talk for a second about the uh, financial abuse yes and what that okay. would look
1: like. um and we're getting a lot of good um things so financial abuse. someone already put up here and right? it's very interesting so financial abuse is not budgeting. And I think that's where we're gonna make some distinctions, right? On um, The same way as having argument in a healthy or healthy enough relationship is not verbal abuse. Budgeting as a family is not financial abuse. It's more of uh, when one person has no access to any funding and has no voice about it. So, um, you know, I kind of always joke on the side, like we should all be on a budget, but that's very different in which someone has no um, access. So what it often looks like, and I'll, I'll share a few examples is, um, you know, and I'll use she as the victim. We do know, we do see men who are also victim survivors. And I I wanna say that I'm gonna use she because the more reported cases of women, Um, you know, she, she works and her paycheck goes into an account that she has no access to. And then she has no money to buy food for her family. Um, she may not be able to, you know, I think of one woman that I, I worked with for many years, her husband, um, she did not work, but that was because it was a choice they made. You know, he had a high earning, um, job. She didn't have enough money to buy food that the agency where I worked, she would take home a bag of, of macaroni and tuna every week because she needed to feed her young children. You know, and here is this family that, you know, certainly that was not, they did not need to use a food pantry, but she had no access to it. And it would play out that she had no access to money for for ingredients to make Shabbos, and he would do the shopping and show up literally five minutes before lich benching with raw material, like raw food, and say, "Okay, make Shabbos." And you know, how does that how does that play out, right? So here she was trying to pull off Shabbos, and that, that you know, you think about what how that impacts her sense of being. Um, there. Um, taking away, someone here wrote taking a food stamp card, yes, taking a food stamp, card. tracking every purchase, being on, a, on an absurd budget where you can't, you can't buy necessary products, and not because of the financial issues in the family, because there is a way of controlling. I think about a young woman I, I worked with, um, she came to, to work with me after she, she walked out of the relationship um, with her baby in her arms. She was, she was it, it, it escalated to physical violence. There were a lot of other violence before then, and um, she had always, always, always worked. She was in her late twenties when she got married, and she they lived in Queens. She worked in the city, and part of their early relationship, he was like, "Oh, don't go to work yet." Um, um, I, I love you so much. Let's have, let's have breakfast. Let's like spend time together in the morning. And she was always late to work. And then he would call the work over and over every day. And eventually, listen, I'm also an employer. And eventually, you know, an employee who comes work, to work every day late and spends the whole day on the phone with their, their husband is no longer employed. Right. And so she, she became more and more dependent on him. And that was really the start of when it became very abusive. And so it all, it was part of his power, power and control, um, you know, and she, she did, she did rebuild her life, um, but it was, it was after it became physically violent that she was like, this, this can't work anymore. Her child, her child was right there. So, I mean, f- financial abuse is very real. Um, someone wrote here, and it's interesting, um, people should hide money for themselves. We could talk about, I don't know if we're going to talk about today, about what it means to do a safety plan and to think about, um, like, what is necessary um, to like w- what we should be doing to prepare. I don't know that that's our focus today, but we could, we could
0: go. Because we can, we can have a follow-up. But our yeah, focus is more yeah. about how to recognize how to, what is abuse. so that somebody, if you or somebody and you, a loved one, somebody in shill next to you, what might be going on for them? Uh, Shana, you described a lot of abusive behaviors. Some of that can be due to uh, dysfunction. Yes. So it can feel just as abuse. Does it matter that if it's from, You know, it doesn't
1: matter. So, there still is, and people will describe it. There still is a distinction between, you know, I think of a continuum of being, and I could bring up, I could think of these a healthier, I call healthy enough relationships, where I hope many of us are blessed to be in, where there's, you know, there's times of ups and downs, but there's a sense of respect, there's a sense of honesty, trust, um, and there's some level of like, equal power. Now, does that does not mean you both, you know, you might, you might make decisions differently, you might choose to let one person, you know, take care of finances, one person take care of educational choices, like, there might, but there's some sort of, like, sense of collaboration of how those choices are made, and it may even be that you choose to be in a very gender, like, traditional gender-rolled um, relationship, but there's, there's voice, and I, I, I talk about voice a lot, and, and I don't know if everybody will, relate to that. But when you move over on the continuum from healthy or healthy enough to high conflict dysfunctional, however I name it, into abusive, um, some of the behaviors may look very similar. But it really comes down to me is like, is there voice? Is there a sense of responsibility? Is there a sense of accountability? In an abusive relationship, uh, an abuser will almost never take any responsibility. They'll they'll basically um, play down anything they've done. They could have an extremely violent, physically violent um, episode, and the next morning, like, just pretend it never happened. Like, where did you get that back on blue Mart from? Like, completely, you know, taking no responsibility. If it comes to a point that they feel threatened and they have, you know, they're almost forced to go to help, they, they won't, there's very little sense of like, okay, I'm going to like do, do the work necessary. They're in a good place.
0: They want to be in in control. So why would they change it? (laughs) It's
1: always interesting. Is that a good place? I mean, who wants to be in a relationship? No, but they they feel right. Yes. They, they will often feel that like, this is what they, um, 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 but when you're talking about high conflict and dysfunctional, listen, the experience might be similar. Um, often there might be a little bit more sense of like, I need to get help. Um, there might be, but you know, it comes down to what you said before. We can't tell people what to do, right? So, in the same way, we can't tell someone that they have to leave a relationship, we can't tell people they can have to stay in a relationship. So, even if someone's only in the person's has you know severe and persistent mental illness that remains absolutely untreated and has a personality disorder, and like, and, and none of that means you're gonna have an abusive relationship. It doesn't mean you'll have a bad relationship, but right? But if you have you don't have the skills and you don't seek out the skills, then it'd probably be really tough relationship. But the same way we can't tell those people they have to stay because it's not abusive. Like people really need to um, be be respected that they're allowed to make the decisions. And you know, so much of this is all about power and control. And when we're in the place of helping, um, we need to remember that we don't want to um, just it be, to replicate the same dynamic of power and control, right? So, so much of us, and I think that that's like really what happens, right? Is that, you know, we see this happening, and we'll talk about what you might see, but like we see this happening, so we go in there and we rush in there, like you need to leave, and that, and though it's coming from a place of like love and care, it's basically the same dynamic of you're telling that person that they can't make their own decision and we're going to tell them what to do. Now, um, there are ways, and Abital, uh, my colleagues and going to speak about it more in a few weeks, but there are ways of how to speak about it, but, um, and we have to remember that. So someone may be living in a high conflict dysfunctional relationship. Sometimes, um, you know, from a professional view, we do a lot of fatality and injury risk assessments. It's a hard thing to talk about. It's not, you know, but, so sometimes high conflict relationships can be dangerous. Um, kind of weird to say, right? Because if someone's completely out of control, um, they may behave very dangerously. Um, so we'll look at we'll look at some of those behaviors. But no one, um, I don't think anyone can tell anyone <laughs> what they have to do in their relationship. Um, I think we need to, to you know, we talk about the power of the community and how we could have we could create community is really about, I think, taking a stand back and saying like like I, I can't tell you what to do. What can I do to be supportive? Um, Shana, <laughs> a lot of people feel. Shame
0: that they are in such a relationship and so they don't talk about it and they're suffering alone And yes, our community does it has added some layer of stigma to it So it makes it even more difficult and that's what we're trying to help people realize that we don't have to add any more to their pain and destigmatize but because people are hiding it for whatever reason and there's lots of reasons why people want to hide it They want to save face or whatever what might we notice and going on for them, so that we can start a conversation, perhaps, or start a
1: way of helping them? So, you know, what we often hear from people, like, when I told you, we get calls from people who are, like, the sister, or a mother, or a cousin, it's, it's very frequently that there's been um, this, this break in the relationship, like, they're no longer who they were, or they're not as available, or there's, They've, it's right very right, retracted from you know they're not there anymore, and that's often the red flag that we see um, is this this place where they're 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 isolated from their family and friends and people are worried, um, and you know the conversation usually goes well do you think that means she's being abused or he's being abused and I'm like it's possible, um, but we don't know it could be that someone is going through a hard time or is postpartum or. Or, you know, we get thinking of a thousand reasons, but but then we then that's when we express support and concern, right? That's when we say, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm concerned about you. Is everything okay? You know, and if it turns out that she's just going through just, I'm not saying just, but, you know, it's it's not related to abuse, then maybe you could support her otherwise, you know? Um, we don't, we want to be support people. Um, so I would say like one of the big red flags is, you know, her changing, you know, really changing. If she was someone who was always very social and then she's just really not social and to like look at it like is it because like she's a lot of new responsibilities or is it because she she's not allowed to be social um you know there are like are big changes in who she she is and I use she but it could be he is I would I would, you know express some level of concern I, I don't know that I would say I'm scared of your husband's abusing you we don't want to <laughs> do that but you know language very open language you're like you know I miss you I'm wondering about you is there anything I could do for you um I'm thinking about you. And if, if you see something that does feel dangerous to say, you know, I'm concerned about your safety. Is everything okay? Um, I'm here for you. Uh, so and then, be, yeah. So when
0: you say change, I'm wondering, does this happen or does it usually happen in the beginning of a marriage or can this pop up 10 years into a marriage or later?
1: I'm just going to reflect on anecdotal because I'm not thinking of literature. Um I would say almost all the women I've worked with and they're usually, I work mostly in the front community. Um, and so they've been married. Um, they're not just in relationships. Um, um, will say that they saw red flags when they were dating and they were engaged. And then it often got, it became more and more. And often it will happen more after a pregnancy or during a pregnancy. Um, and, um, um, and, and, and it's it's very, I, you know, I have not, I cannot think of any cases where it was like a healthy enough relationship for 20 years and all of a sudden he's very abusive. I, I, you know, maybe if there was a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, you know, like there's something very extreme that happened. There might be some behavioral change, but this is something that, that happens throughout a relationship. It may be more subtle early on in the relationship. Um, and, you know, someone gave a good example once that, you know, also, if you don't, like, you call a house, you can't reach your friend anymore. Like, how, how, how accessible is that person um, to other people, um, which reflects that. But it does not happen. I think, I think that one woman I worked with, and she was in the marriage for a very long time. I mean, she was, she came to me when she was marrying her for younger children. So we're talking 20, 25 years. And she said, you know, something didn't feel right when I was engaged um and you know she said i was an older single i think she was 23 or 24 but perhaps that felt older to her you know i guess things change um i don't know that that nowadays that is as, as significant but okay it matters what your community is and um and she said the things that i noticed i said well, what kind of things so she goes when we were engaged for my birthday he bought something that he knew i didn't care for but he wanted in our house and I like, took a step back and I was like, well, that's just because, you know, I didn't care for a boom box. I don't know if everybody here knows what that is, but like, you know, the big, <laughs> it's dating this whole thing, but it was a long time ago. Um, and I, I just didn't care for it, but I knew he always wanted one. He was like, one of those things he really wanted us to get. In. So for my birthday, when we we're engaged, she bought this huge boom box as a gift to me. And, I was like, why would you buy something I don't want? And, to, and she was looking back, that was like one of those red flags. And then she starts talking about how she had no voice in how they planned their wedding. And she got none of the kibbutum for her family, you know, like he made that into like, and, and she just went on and on. But I thought that was a really interesting way to sort of think about it. And, and um, I said, so what was it like for you when that happened? She was, I had this feeling that it didn't feel right, but I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have language for it. I mean, this is going back 35 years at this point, you know, this is, you know, a long time ago. And I didn't have land, you know, and I felt pressure and I moved forward and, and, you know, married children, um, maybe at the time she almost had a grandchild, honestly. And um, I thought that was very interesting. And, you know, when I think about that situation and that feeling of like something doesn't feel right, you know, it doesn't mean when something doesn't feel right, we say, oh, break an engagement, right? That's not the response. When something doesn't feel right, you explore it, right? You explore it. And, you know, if something doesn't feel right and you bring it up to your husband and you say, you know, I just didn't like how that was, and he gets very angry, that's something else to explore. If he goes, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't realize I was inconsiderate, and, you know, is, is able to, to, to navigate that with you, that's also a different signal, right? That's, you know, and you're looking at both, right? I mean, so we're, nobody's going to say, oh, break your engagement, he bought you the wrong birthday gift. That's not what I'm saying. It's saying like if something feels not good, right, you know, my, my colleague Abutal talked about that uh-oh feeling, but there's that pit in your stomach, He's like, oh, this feels off don't ignore it, like, you know, don't ignore it, it's very, you know, it's, they take the time, and you know, we're blessed in our community to have a lot of mental health professionals that are very skilled, and it's really, that's the time, um, can I plug mental health professionals, that's the time to see, it's really the time to talk to a mental health professional, where they could be objective, they have training around this, and they could help you think through, is this, you know, your thing, is this real, or is there something here that you really need to, to figure out if it's still a good fit? I want to uh, jump in
0: on that engagement piece. Our engagements are very short, so if you have a if something uh, bothering you, you have to jump in pretty quickly and talk to somebody, because yes. you may take sessions, and at the same time, you're planning a wedding, and at the same time, you're exploring if you should go forward with it. it, it so it's it's a big such a stressful
1: time, yeah, but, but, sh- it's, but, so, it, but yeah. it's important. It's like, it's it's important, and you know, we have Shaw and Workshop, which is not for abusive clients, but it's, you know, it's for relationships. And I'll tell you, we'll meet with people and we'll be talking about communication skills and our facilitators, not not often, but we'll kind of call me or call on the other professionals saying like, something didn't feel great, like something felt off. And then we'll reach out. And, we'll, and we won't say, oh, you're an abusive relationship, but oh, maybe you want to like, you want to get a little bit more guidance. Maybe there's a little more for you to explore, um, you know, we We, you know, we all would rather prevent the situation than have to intervene um, later. Um, so.
0: so I asked the question about when it when it falls out, if it's early marriage or throughout. That yeah. because it's not. A, it, we're not only looking to help people in early marriage, which is maybe when it might start. Someone may be in it for 15 years, like you described. Yes. So it really could be anybody. Is that as if we should only be looking at young
1: people and saying? Oh, absolutely. It, yeah.
0: It could really be someone who's, who's been in for a long time.
1: And there's so many reasons, you know, when I um, interrupt, as you will, but when I think about, you know, we present all these terrible ways that people live and what the situation, the, the question I always get next is like, why, why is she still there, right? And we can think about so many reasons, and that's like a discussion on its own, but there are so many reasons we touch on. And so if someone's listening or you know someone, you, you know, we've worked with people who, who, it is not atypical to work with people who choose to, to figure out what they want to do next after their children are married like, it it really may be, you know, what is that 30 years into a marriage, 35 years of marriage, they've married off, you know, a large family, Kananahara, and they're kind of like, now I have to figure out what's not working for me. It could be people who are, you know, 15 years in. Um, It's, you know, I think about, like, the many reasons why people may not come forward early, and I hate when people say, why doesn't she just leave? I think we're putting the onus and the burden on the person who's being hurt to make all these decisions, but um, you know, the other way of framing it is like, what are the barriers to coming forward? Like, what, what is it that makes it hard? And everybody here listening could probably type in 15 things that come to mind. Like, what's hard, right? She loves him or he loves her. That's true. That's really true. You could be in a lot of pain and still love someone, right? And we have to allow for that. You know, it's scary. It's how do I financially even think about this is, you know, we go on and, you know, it's so feels so shameful. I mean, I think something that we hear a lot is like, what would, like, what would my life look like? right? Like, we live in very traditional communities, even, you know, like, we live in two-parent family communities, for the most part, and there's a very, there's a structure, and we love our communities, and we have a lot of joy, and we, we, you know, this is, like, we choose to live in our our communities, and what will it be like to be that single parent? Like, how do I, how do I even think about, how do I think about? That's the part that, you know, some of it is
0: on her own, and like, you know, what will I be financially, you know, how can I support myself? Those are her own Possibly, but things that come from the community, like how would I fit fit into this community, is something that we really have to work on.
1: Yeah, I so mean, I, I that all the time. Journal,
0: like the stigma or people not wanting to pl- let their children play with someone right. of a, you know
1: of a divorced family. Like, what is that? And why? Right. We have it was to interesting. Someone that. said to me recently, I was talking to a woman who was post, post-divorce, post after a very violent relationship, and she said one of the hardest things for her was that nobody would come to her for a Shabbos meal anymore, right? Like, so much of her identity, what she found joy in is us hosting other people for Shabbos meals. She was, lots of people invited me and my children for Shabbos meals. Like, I was that person that everybody made sure to invite, which is beautiful. It is beautiful that she was included in that way, but, um, And but she was like, I felt like an outsider because so much of my my like my social life was me cooking these beautiful meals, and I still want to be able to do that. But nobody was comfortable anymore coming, and I I felt like an outsider. And I was like, whoa, you know that's something, like it. I was like, we have to have a focus group because like, how do we, you know, how do we create the place in our community for people to remain active, vibrant members of the community if their lives look a little. That they're not the conventional, you know, like, it, would that allow people to consider other safe options, you know? Um, it was really, to me, very eye-opening when you hear a comment like that, right? Um, it was, but there are all these these um, reasons, and, and sometimes, you know, you know, I guess we do focus a lot on younger marriages or newer marriages, but, you know, if you just think about um, the what our lives look like, right? Like just a normal, like our healthy enough lives where we're working and our children are in school, and there's the physical and the dental appointment, and maybe our kid needs an IEP, and then we also have to deal with everything else in our lives, right? We're all we all, all all busy all the time. Like that's just the reality. And then to throw in there, okay, now I'm going to leave this relationship. And somehow reestablish myself. Deal with court, based in um, possibly child protective services. Like it is, it is expecting people to be super people. You know, when I when I when I teach clinical, I, I you know I often do some clinical training. I have this diagram where I have all these systems, and I put in there a a very modestly dressed superwoman where I think that there's an expectation that, okay, this is happening, that you make the change, and they just, you know, and that's just not the experience. It is, it is, um, it's almost superhuman right, to be able to just say, okay, I'm going to do all this, and um, so you will often meet people who have been in relationships, because there's a sense of denial, because that's how they have to function, right? I'm not going to look at this, um, because I have to take care of all of this, and I do this really well, and this part is, is okay enough, I'm going to do this, and then when I have some room. I think COVID has been very interesting, which, you know, is not the focus, but, you know, there's been an escalation of violence. Um, We do not see families that were healthy jump into abusive. That's just not how it works. You might see families that were were high conflicts get into abusive, and you might see relationships that had non-physical violence become physically violent, right, because there's so much stress. But I think COVID in general, and it's not a domestic violence um, reflection, is that it's like a mirror to our lives. You know, we've all spent so much time at home, you know, and trying to just being with ourselves and and managing all this. And and I think all of us have seen things like in the mirror of things that we like about our lives and there are things that we're like, oh, this doesn't, this isn't good. Like, I need to figure this out. And I think, you know, we've had a pretty significant increase to calls to our hotline. And some of it is that when there is, there is safety to call and obviously during the shelter in place, it was much harder, but um, it's like, wow, I, it, it may have gotten worse and it's always been there and I, I see it more now, right? And it in many ways, is very easy, not comfortable, but easy not to, to leave because it's so hard to leave. Um, so yes, we're here for people who've been married. You know, I, I've worked with people in their 70s and 80s. Um, you know, grandparents, great-grandparents who, who, you know, this was a time where it made sense for them to explore what they need for themselves. Um, and that does not mean they're leaving, but what do they need for themselves. It may mean they just need some more support. They may need to be able to find other things in their lives that make them have a sense of empowerment. You know, Sometimes it's, it's might sound trite, but sometimes it's finding hobbies or, or pursuing a profession um, that if, if it's safe to do that so that they have another identity other than a relationship that isn't, isn't healthy. Um, I've been talking a lot. I want to hear more about some Can of the questions. Can we talk you about see?
0: what happens for the children in, the, in a relationship where the, where the children are not being abused necessarily, except right, that right. of course they are being abused by watching this go on, but they're not, they're not the subject of the
1: abuse. Right. So it's very different when they're the subject of the abuse. Um, so um, it, many, many um, survivors um, will believe and the abuser might believe that the children have no idea what's going on. They basically always know something's going on. Um, So we we just need to be real about it. And it does impact them sense of safety. Um, There's often a sense, you know, they either align very much with the the victim and they might put themselves in harm's way, or many of them align very much with the abuser because would you rather be on the side of being thrown at or being the one throwing, right? Like it's a safety mechanism. Um, I, you know, people will often say to me, does that mean everybody who grows up with this? I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but it means that they're going, no, okay, good. It's going to, is going to either, you know, there's like this, this language out there is like, if you grow up with it, um, it means you're going to be abused or you're going to be abusive. I don't, I, I don't know if you've heard that. I, I often hear that. The literature okay, doesn't, so su- the literature doesn't su- support that. It either. does not support it. It does not support it. And it's also to me as a therapist and as a Jew, Um, just it's, it's a terrible sentiment. Um, I think it's very fatalistic. It doesn't allow for healing, whatever you want to think about it. Um, And I don't, I don't see anything positive about that, that um, epitaph, like people just say it and say it. And I hear it all the time. I hear from the women saying, if I stay in this, it means my my son's going to be this and my wife, my daughter's going to be abused or it's for sure. Even if I don't stay, it means it's going to happen. No, it doesn't mean that. I mean, we all have great capacity for resiliency and healing and, um, I wouldn't be in the work I did if I if I didn't believe that. And I'm going to meet my son. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, boo. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think it's, so the children, but the children will experience, you know, um, symptoms of, of of stress and trauma. I mean, they will. Um, because they're living in a traumatic home so it could be the whole gamut of things it may not be severe all the time but you know there's anxiety there's depression there might be you know decrease, decreased appetite there may be sleep issues um, there could be hyper I mean that, it's part and of teachers the, to notice it because it, 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 it could show it, up in, right? in the classroom absolutely and it and won't that be wording. that you know and it won't be that they come with the black and blue marks where many teachers are taught they're trained to look out for for the child abuse but it may be that you know they, they'll notice other things they might notice that the, the, the mom you know typically the, the victim or the thought you know isn't able to to support the person through their learning right because they're they're too busy surviving so they can't do the 15 minutes of reading every night and everything else that you know is expected of of parents um, in in schooling so um, but I think we need to stay with the fact that children are very resilient people are very resilient there's great there, there's great hope for healing um, and and we just need to help people get to the place where they can do that, right? And do that safely. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly hard. Um, I would say children are often the motivator to leave a relationship. I, I will say that, um, you know. So I want to talk about what does the abuser look like? Yeah. And the, and really. Anything. It could be anyone. They don't have, you know, they're not funny looking. Um, they're not all unemployed or dysfunctional. Um, they could be... Um, I'm not saying everybody's an abuser, but they are frequently people who in the outside are very confident and very well-liked and charming. And at home, they are everything but. Um, And it's certainly part of why it's hard to come forward, because who would believe that this, you know, rough doctor, you know, president of the Shoal, whatever the role is in the community that you're coming from that has some level of prestige, but not only prestige, like, communal engagement and, you know, giving and generosity, right? How can that person at home be completely different? We had a phone call to our hotline that I think about often. It was a woman who shared that she and her husband were just honored by their school. So there are obviously people who were generous, who were really engaged, you know, like, and she, she called, she had taken our um, number out of a, um, a newspaper four years before and she had folded it and put it into her little wallet, like one of those, like she described it as in one of those sections, you know, where you have those, you put old receipts, and she described, she put it there, and she she just couldn't attend to it, and her kids were getting older, and she decided that she needs to, she needs to figure out a plan, because this wasn't long-term, but the description of her saying, she's like, we were just honored by our day school, our, our yeshiva, and I'm talking, and, and, and she decided that her plan was that she's going to, she was calling from her workplace. She had finally, she had been out of the workforce, raising the children, now she was going back to the workforce. And part of what her feeling of empowerment was to start working to see um, how she could take care of herself and then consider what the next steps would be. Um, And, um, but to me, it was just so compelling to think about that way. Here was a man that was just honored by his community and what she was describing is living with a terrorist, an absolute terrorist, and her children witness this. And what are children thinking? My, my whole school is here honoring my, and I, I'm i sure those kids get up there and gave a little cute speech, right? We've been to these dinners, and right? Like we know them, the poem of the, you know, they're very uh, endearing. And at the same time, the child at the same time is like, I'm gonna go home and he's gonna, you know, hit my, my mother and I'm gonna hear it happen. Um, it might be in the other room. Um, and so, what is that like? So it could be absolutely anyone. And there's certainly there's certainly abusers that um, are are not you know high functioning. They're everybody, you know, they're absolutely everybody. Um, and so, one thing we could do as a community is that we, when we do hear if somebody does disclose to us, is not to sit there and disbelieve. Like, how's that possible? He just gave a shear. It's possible, right? How's it possible? She just, even if you know she's an abuser, it's possible. It could be um, it could be absolutely. It could be anyone. Um, And talk about being anyone, anyone can be the victim. It's not someone Anyone, Right, and that's also, right, Right. and it's not, and, you know, when you meet someone, you know, they they themselves can be um, professionals. They can be very competent. They can be the head of the PTAs. They can just be honored by the school, right? The victim is not always someone who comes across as disheveled. Now, sometimes the abuse will make her come across as very mentally ill or disheveled. That's part of the abuse, so that the community will really align with him, and that's, you know, one dynamic, but often, you know, she she's just one of any of us, right? She looks like any of us, you know. She'll function within the community outside her family in this way, um, and it can be very confusing. Um, and and then inside, live in live in this 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 um, place of terrorism.
0: Right. And the control is different in, in every relationship. It's different. Like in this case, when you say that she's the head of whatever, he wants to really keep it hidden, so he lets her out in yeah, public. Absolutely. And you know he lets her, or he encourages her to have the let's job. Her. So it's a better
1: alibi in a way. It's, in, in some way, you know, she could be a, a physician. But her, you know, but you could say, we go back to the financial abuse. She could have a high-earning, you know, job, and at the same time, the, the she might have no control of finances. She might have not a penny to, right, to to be able to. You know, it's like it, it doesn't have to look a certain way. And certainly, in, the word alibi is there. It's like a facade, right? It's really like, like how can how can she say she's abused? She has you know, this role in the, in the community. She's, she's an empowered woman. Well, she may be in that part of her life. Um, it may be a way of, of but she, she is not at home. Um, and um, yeah, it could be absolutely anyone on either side. Absolutely yeah. anyone. Um,
0: and there's and, nothing, and the, the thing with this is that there's nothing that she does to to, ag- to to aggravate it or to bring it on. This is a very intentional plan of his to-
1: Well, it's about power and control. So there, you know, so, you know, we will say, you know, we will, there are victi- there are survivor victims who will say, you know, I know I made him, I egged him on right now, but they'll say, but that was the only way I could manage the situation. Like, I knew that there was an incident going to happen, and I'd rather it happen before Shah was dead at Friday night dinner. So if I kind of like made it happen now, it gave me some power, and I got it out of the way. So, but it's not because, you know, when, when, you know, that's the difference, right? You know, someone discloses and you say, so what do you do? It isn't that what I did because it's never okay to be abusive, right? It's never, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're under a lot of stress. It's never, that behavior is never, it's never okay. You're, you're, we're all responsible for our own behavior. So even if she did something that made him upset, you know, we all do something, things to our partner and spouse that may make them upset. I mean, at least I do. And, and but the response, you know, it's about response, right? And, and. Um, having the entitlement to, to, to respond in a way that's, so it's not her fault. It's not it's not any victims her his fault either, if he's the victim. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, so, it's a behavior, it's a choice. No, it's not like it takes two to tangle. Sometimes it's when there's a power differential, there's not, it's not takes two to tangle. It's not a, it's a power differential and it's counterindicated to go to marital therapy. It's absolutely dangerous. Um, and Let's you, talk it, to we, that for a
0: minute. When people
1: that yeah. you go to therapy. And the
0: therapy would be individual therapy. She would support therapy. if she Absolutely.
1: can. Right. Or a rub. Right. Yeah, when someone goes to a rub. not and be a shalom bias <laughs> counseling with a rub. I mean, if there's any any power differential, um, if there's any level of coercive control, which we'll call non physical abuse or physical abuse, they, they should not be speaking to a rub about shalom bias. I mean, this is not about shalom bias. This is about power differential. This is dangerous. Um, and it puts, it puts, the victim at, at greater risk when they engage in that, right? You're basically getting, you know, marital therapy is about both people taking responsibility for the dynamic, but a victim does not need to take responsibility for the, the dynamic of being abused, right? That's not her or his fault. Um, so I'm going to, so when people go to marital therapy and they people do, people go um, and it's the first stop because that's what we do, right? We go, go to the couples counselor, go to the RUV, first of all, go to the RUV the Mashpia, the whatever the, is in your community. And, and the, you know, and then the Rav may work with them for a bit and realize it's not working. So they said, oh, there's a really good marriage therapist. And, you know, and the marriage therapist, you know, the ones that are more skilled will kind of sniff it out and say, oh, this doesn't seem to be the place for this. You know, go, we're going to put you into individual therapy first. And, and then, you know, hopefully they'll, she'll, she, the, the victim will get the support she needs in that. Um, to, to be safe and to, to have validation and some level of healing. And then I, I don't know what happens always to the abuser. That's not what we're talking about tonight. I don't know that, you know, I don't I don't. I don't know that that is always effective. But certainly people should not be going to shalom bias, um, working on shalom bias or going to marital therapy when there's abuse. Um,
0: right. But the challenge always is that people don't recognize it or don't admit that it's abuse right. or they don't describe it fully as abuse even right. to themselves. And so they do try to believe there's just a and bias issue. And then they end up falling into this trap. And then just imagine how it plays out is that, you know, what's going on? And she's not allowed to say anything. So it seems like nothing's really going on because she's not going to say anything because he's going to get right
1: there. And if she does say something, she'll be beaten when she goes back home, or there'll be some, like there'll be some, maybe not physical violence, but there'll be some level of abuse when she goes back home. Yeah, it's really, um, which is why these conversations are important, where people. Can, can say, you know, this, they say be able to say themselves, yeah, I, I, I may not be able to use the word abuse about my relationship, but this is not about, me, uh, uh, it's not a two to ta- take, takes two to tango, this isn't about what I'm doing, this is about a behavior that he, you know, he is the abuser, or she is the abuser, is choosing to do, to have power and control, and I, I don't have a voice, I have no voice, and I'm afraid, um, and, you know, and, and to, to put out there that you, you call us, and we can help you find someone, but they're, like throughout, I mean, this is mostly New York City listening. I'm assuming there's a lot of free services, absolutely free services, because um, if you're an abuse victim, you don't want to use your insurance, right? Because you don't want the EOB going back to the house so he knows that you're seeing a therapist. And you don't, you might not have access to funds to see a therapist. So, so don't feel that you have to go see a private therapist to get the help you need. There are very skilled um, um, practitioners out there that are available in, in programs to help you. Um, so the firm one and
0: people who I really understand our firm, firm dynamics. Oh
1: yeah, there's from sorry, there are there are firm programs. Firm programs um, and and that's what we're here for. I mean, it's really our mission to make sure that people get the service they need and they don't have to leave the community to do that. You know, that we're here. Um, um, yeah. I
0: wanna I, mean, I wanna talk to the to the one who wants to support and I think it's very important that they don't say, go to a rab, or say you just need shalom bias, in the same way that we don't want them to go to a rub who doesn't know th- that may point them in the direction of working on shalom bias, we ourselves don't want to point them into the direction of shalom bias. And secondly, also, it's very important is not to go to him and say, how dare you do that to
1: her. Right, right. so I'd say like the yeah. two, two principles, if someone discloses to you, don't do anything that will put her safety at risk. Like, like, like just make that your, like, the, you know, don't do anything. So, so if do you're no gonna, harm. do no harm, there we go. That's right. right you're, do no harm. You know, like she's going to share with you. You might not know what to say. It's really hard to know what to say. You know, even I don't always know what to say, right? That's what I've been trained in. Like, it's hard to know what to say, but you don't want to do is obviously you should keep confidence. You don't want to tell other people it's, it's been shared with you and you don't, you don't want to go to a rub or someone who's going to have influence on him and start getting involved in the dynamic. Um, that's not how, it will not change, and it will just put her at higher risk for disclosing it. So certainly don't tell anyone. And and the response is not to go to her. And, and you know, I think that Rabbanim have a, a beautiful role in our community, and I think it's very important, but um, particularly if the rub is his rub also, um, it's a problem to go to him, right? And and we are also a community that has many from mental health professionals that are are in line with our community, but are trained. Um, to, to really help someone think these through. And and I'm biased, I'm, I'm, I hope to, I like to say I'm one of them. So, uh, you know, this is, but I, <laughs> I have many, many colleagues out there, wonderful people who um, are, are, are available to help people think this through, um, and will be able to help with safety. And safety is always the um, operating, that's what we always think about first, I mean, you know, you call our hotline, the first thing we ask you is it is safe time to talk. Even if you called, we asked them if it's a safe time to talk because we don't always, people are not always aware of their own safety. Um, that's our, our standard because do no harm. At the, at, the, at the most basic level, we don't want someone to, we don't want to put anybody's risk. So if someone does disclose this to you, um, do no harm, call us. We'll help you think about what to say. We're here for you, text us. We'll help you think it through. There's a lot of information on our website also.
0: I think um, the information on the website is great. I think that talking to someone about the specifics of the case and yes. Sham Tafos is there for that. Don't do I would say don't do anything on your on your own. If you're not skilled in it, even if you're skilled in it, sometimes you're too emotionally involved. It's nice to get an objective op- opinion, yes. a knowledgeable opinion of what to do. So even if you're slightly suspicious that something might be going on, get support of what you yourself should get support. And even if it yes. means a therapist, even if it means paying a therapist to get some support and guidance of what to do because you definitely don't want to make
1: it worse but and, you know and, and, I, and but, but again don't let payment get in the way like there are really exactly. like like really yes sir but like really call us there's enough call, there's, enough, there's, there's enough. enough out there it, we are not alone like our community is really um, has moved so much that we we have these services um, you know, um, and I have wonderful, co- you know, other agencies I work with that I'd say do a really, really good job. If someone does disclose it to you, you know, your stance is that they need to be believed. They absolutely just need to be believed. Um, you are not there to investigate it. That's not your role whatsoever. And, you know, it is, thank you. Thank you for trusting me with that. With that, This must be a hard thing for you to talk about. What can I do for you? You know, I'm here for you. Um, and then she said, well, I'm going to stay with that. I'm going to do it whatever you need. And then, you know, one thing I often, you know, I consult in a lot of cases like this, and one thing that comes up a lot is that it's really hard um, to see someone make these poor decisions, you know, or what you consider be a poor decision, I should say. And it's, it's frustrating, and the relationship may be very one way for a while. And that's what it is, and to accept that, that for the, that time, this will not be your friend that could support you back. But if you can't kind of look past that and remain an anchor, and a place of hope for them, then they'll become more and more isolated and have less and less resources. So sometimes it feels like really hard to um, just kind of be that person that says, I'm here for you. Whatever you decide to do, I'm here for you. You are never. You call me anytime, I'll, I'll be here for you, right? And you get so frustrated, you, you need to find your support somewhere else so that that, that person has some sort of, of, you know, somewhere, someone out there who's going to believe them and help them, because it is so isolating. Um, And it's so, it's, and and that's many of the reasons people stay and and are in danger. Let's not worry about staying. People are, remain in danger and have real risk their safety is because they don't believe anyone will believe them. Perhaps they have told people and the question is, oh, what did you do? Or there must be more to that story, right? Or, you know, you're married, try it more. And then, and then it puts them at much higher risk. So, Um,
0: and and like you said pregnancy and right after birth is one of the bigger one of the bigger times so when they're really vulnerable and the hormones and and and
1: is when they really need support that's a lot i mean you know and i don't know that the studies say first pregnancy versus later pregnancy but i think that um I think a lot of it is in some way, once you have a child together, once you're pregnant, there is a level, a different level of investment, right? It feels like a different risk. And I think that the abusive party knows that. Like, it's much in some way simpler to leave a a marriage when there's no children. And it's certainly more complicated um, later. And it's it's a different decision. Um, So people, you know, it puts people, there is risk. So just, you know, believe um, and do no harm. Do no harm. And we're here for you like Deborah is very knowledgeable. Um, she'll help steer people in the right direction. We're, we're available, and there are many colleagues um, throughout the country, I'd say. Um, a lot of, my, most large Jewish communities have domestic violence departments.
0: We list them all on our website, and uh, I think, Shonda, you have a lot of them on your website?
1: Yeah, and, we, and you call us. will connect you to them, um, and there are some incredible people out there that are available to help.
0: So if something's happening in the community, it's be- believe, believe them. It's probably
1: true. Probably true. And you know, it's not your job to figure it out. You're not the judge and jury. It just isn't, it isn't. If someone is, you know, someone someone who's reaching out is needs support,
0: whether the whole story is exactly the way it is presented. It doesn't matter. Sometimes it's perception. And some people could tolerate more and maybe you could have tolerated that, you know, or you think you could have, or you want to believe that you could have and it's not you know she can't and or he can't and that's just what it is and they need, they need support whether you believe that it you should be support, you know whether you believe that's a real problem or not if they're reaching out right. for support that's what we okay. do we help people
1: we help people we help people
0: that's what communities do for that's each what, other and that's yeah. the idea is to really fully understand what might be going on for somebody and next time Avital 11 will be talking about more about how we can support the language you might use, um, a language you ought not to use and how to be thinking about people so uh, we're looking forward to Avital's uh, conversation yeah, as well. Fantastic. So, Shana, this has been great. I think it was very fantastic. informative. If Thank anyone you. has any questions, uh, definitely put it in the chat. We'll we'll keep it on for another minute or so. We'll read your questions. Uh, we'll try to get the answers to you, however we however possible. Whether it's you give us your information, or we'll put, maybe put into a future article because uh, we put articles on COL all the time or other places. So. Uh, We'll, we'll try to get the answers to you. But again, anything that you reach, uh, share with myself or uh, some task force is always confidential. We will never share, and by training and by nature, those of us who go into the helping field are non-judgmental. We really are just there to help. Right. So uh, definitely reach out.
1: And, and you can always, um, our 888 883 is both a text line and a phone line. So if you, you wanna text in a question even, um, if we can't get to it today, we'll, we'll be in touch with you. We'll first ask if it's safe to be in touch with you, but um, you know, feel free um, to reach out with any questions. Um, and that's what we're here for. Um, thank you for attending. Thank you for being here for, for, for the community. This is, what it, this is what it takes to make positive change.
0: We'll peck away at it and we're gonna make that change. That's me thank you so much, Shana.
1: Thank you. All
0: right, all right, good night.